your Woodruff, Ruff, Gacy, Horn on IR. Panthers offense ranked in the bottom third of all categories, as you just mentioned, Zach. They've really struggled on the road as well. They had a dome in Atlanta in the first game, and then the second time around against the 12th men in Seattle with Andy Dalton under center. They had eight false starts in that one. This, uh, this great, is Father. Very, we are. Needed to be told by you that we are in your presence, a holy presence. Unless we should listen attentively to your word, we should pay with very sensitive hearts, close attention to what you have for us. Despite what we think we want to hear today or be told, or maybe even what someone else we think needs to be told, Lord, you will speak today, and it will be profitable. So we trust you for this endeavor, because in Christ's name, amen. Well, we're coming to Exodus 13, and we're going to cover 14 as well. And this is chapter 14, one of really one of the great chapters of the Bible. If you think on your hand, like, oh, how many great chapters are there in the Bible? This is one of them. Um, in fact, Exodus has a few. Um, but this is no doubt one of them. The, the Red Sea crossing is, it goes beyond just for the generation that crossed the Red Sea. The importance of the Red Sea crossing, God delivering his people from the Red Sea, it would be looked at for generations as essentially the redemptive moment for Israel. They would align their clocks, they would organize their lives all around their exodus out of Egypt, and especially what happened at the Red Sea. For generations, Jews would understand that the sea was essentially the cross of their testament. Just as we look back on the cross of Christ and always think of it as the fountain opened up where our sins are forgiven and we're washed white as snow, the Jew would think of the Red Sea in the same way and always think about since we were delivered out of the sea, we are his people. And that decisive, triumphal deliverance will govern my way of thinking, my way of even existing. For generations, even Isaiah would describe coming back out of exile from Babylon as a second exodus. John the Baptist would preach the good news of the kingdom in the new covenant as another exodus. And so this is really a, a lynch pin text for us this morning. And it speaks to us today about many things about our Lord, primarily, his great power, his sovereign, and sometimes confusing display of sovereignty, his shepherding care, how we must relate to Yahweh. But there is a there is a bit of a challenge for us here because we read this because we didn't live it. We read it. They lived it. 
And by that simple distinction, we might even wonder, how does it help us? How does the Red Sea for Israel approximately 1,500, well, excuse me, 3,400 years ago. How does that help me today? I don't want to see a Red Sea crossing in my life. How does that help me today? Well, it is illustrative of what is in God that helps you in sin. Everything that God displays of himself here is true of himself for all time and is also the same way in which he applies his great very precious promises to you as he delivers you from sin. We've made these connections before. I'm not going to belabor the point, but as Israel's coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, that picture is the same that many authors of the Bible pick up. But the Christian is coming out of the house of slavery to sin, and we have our redemption moment in the cross. The Jews have their redemption moment in Egypt. In fact, you could do a pretty neat study, if you ever wanted to, and just take three locations in the Bible. You take Egypt, Babylon, and Golgotha. Egypt, Babylon, and Calvary, and see how those all are woven together. But here we see the immutable, unchanging God care for his people and deliver them in the same way he applies that to us. Did you go through a, a sea that was dried out, walls of water on each side? No, you never did live that. But it is still true of your deliverance. It takes a very very powerful deliverance to deliver you from sin. More powerful than crossing the There's a man with a computer on him. All of your sin. All of your sin. So, make no mistake that in your deliverance from sin and the devil, the Lord, just like you did for Israel, he will smite your enemies. He'll shepherd you through the deep dark. He'll cause you to walk on dry ground that was once a chaotic, turbulent waterway. He'll shepherd you out to the other side. Look at the end of 13 here, starting in verse 17. Look at where we left off last time. Look at God's shepherding care for his people. When Pharaoh, verse 17, chapter 13, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was For God said, let the, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the, toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. 
We move on from Sukkot and camp at Ethan, on the edge of the wilderness. Yahweh went before them by day in the pillar of clouds to lead them by, to lead them along the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light. They might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart. This tree, this they would see the clashing and clanging of the war of the Philistines, and they would turn tail, head right back into slavery. He knows his people. God knows his people. So instead of taking them through the land of the Philistines, which would be faster, it's actually advantageous to his people that they go a long way around, endure affliction, that they would be better off to inherit the land then. In God's mind, it was better for Israel to inherit a land after the furnace of affliction, wandering in the desert, and crossing the Red Sea at any time. Then seeing the Philistines and saying, he knows you way better than you know yourself. And he shepherds you in a way where he protects you from yourself. He even takes care of his people in death. And there is no doubt about it. There is only been approximately 400 years. It may not even be bones. But Joseph swore or had promised that his bones would be taken out of the land of Egypt. Joseph knew he was not even Egyptian. Though he rose to power, you know the Joseph story, he was not even Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. He was a covenant child of Yahweh. He says, I don't want to lie here. My home is in Canaan. And God cares for Joseph even in Joseph's death. Death is the finality. It is the last stop. We are not in control of our lives when we're living, when we're definitely not in control of our bodies when we're dead. But God carries Joseph's bones. He has Moses carry Joseph's bones out from we can come to the rescue. God was even caring for him. And he also cared for his people by a an astounding day after day, night after night, hour after hour. The Lord goes before them by day in the pillar of cloud and by night in the pillar of fire. 
later on, we're told, just like the burning bush, that there's a, this is the Lord. It is the Lord himself. But he, in his desire to radiate out a guiding light, shows his people the way. Where are they going to go? How are they supposed to figure this out? He shows them the way. And we have to understand, you know, if we didn't already make the connection, Jude makes it for us here quite clearly that Jesus brings his people out of Egypt. I want to remind you, Jude says in verse 5, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The angel of the Lord, the presence of God, is none other than a pre-incarnate Christ, truly the Son of God, and he is in the midst of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire guiding him. His people. Not, not unlike you know, the previous chapter, it was a night of watching to the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. This is what the Lord does. He takes his people out of slavery and he guides them along the way. And he shepherds them. Here's the Notice also God's sovereignty is both powerful and confusing. 14.1 Then Yahweh said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahirah between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know what I am, that I am Yahweh. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? You are the one that let them go. That's called revisionist history. So he, made, so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out and finding. Here, God is sovereignly setting the stage. We're always left to be We don't like how he sets the stage. There's got to be something to be delivered from in order to be delivered. He is creating that situation here. The people are guided by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to encamp at Pihahuroth, which is in between Migdol and the sea, between a rock and a And he guides them there. 
to Atlanta. God guided them there. God guided them to be in a spot where they would need deliverance. He didn't allow it. He didn't permit it. God actively guided his people to a place where they would have no other option than to cry out for help. in his people's lives. That you are in between the rock and hard So that you would call out the ball. And they're going to start out, of course. We don't like calling out to them. Often we want to do that as a last resort after we exhaust all of our options. But this is the truth of Scripture. God in His sovereignty purposely guides His people to be vulnerable. Not to boy with you boy with this people but to deliver so guide his people to be humble and unbeknownst to them there's, there's kind of like a, a cutaway scene between in, in verses 4 to 8 and on this other scene it, it's another scene of what's going on in Egypt right? so here's a scene in 13.7 all the way to 14-2, and it's about Israel. And then there's a cutaway scene to Pharaoh. What's going on in Egypt? Well, Pharaoh can see the dust that's kicking up, and he's like, what did they know how to get out of here? He says to the people, they're wandering, verse 3, in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And God says, I'm going to, and he does, pardon Pharaoh's heart. We've talked about this word in the past. And pardon might be appropriate depending on the verse. It might not. Probably the best way to say this is um, Yahweh is strengthening Pharaoh's resolve. Okay. He's strengthening Pharaoh's will to pursue them. And he will pursue them. And God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. So when the king was told in verse 5 that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh was changed. It says, I made a big mistake. I should have never let him go. Sorry, dude. Like, Pharaoh, you had no choice. But he has, he's, he's eating his words. He says, okay, I should have never let him go. He amasses his armies and chariots, and he starts to pursue them, knowing they're stuck. He says, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to put them back under my thumb, back under slavery. And we get does God guide his people to be in a vulnerable spot? It'll be second and ten for Dallas at the Patriots' 45-yard line. We're at the first three minutes of the game, and don't score yet, Zach. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go to Detroit. It is the Panthers and the Lions. 
He doesn't intend for you to be in that spot to look for yourself. He's going to deliver you. The sovereignty is confusing. There's no shame in saying I don't get it. There's a lot of pride. A lot of sin in saying I It is confusing, but it is powerful. We see these even controlling Pharaoh's heart. He's not putting any wicked desire in Pharaoh's heart that wasn't already there. He's not changing anything in Pharaoh's heart other than stealing his resolve to do what he actually wants to do. And this will be the last time that Pharaoh will be dead. We keep going along and look at the enemy pursuing and God's people fearing. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Behoth, by Kihahua, in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not... Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So, here's the scene. Pharaoh is amassing his army. He knows exactly where they are. This is his backyard. He knows the land. He's going over to them. He knows they're stuck between the sea and the wilderness. Nowhere to go. And he pursues them. And Israel while they're tucked away in this wonderful little town called Kihahilo, has no idea. They have no idea. Pharaoh's coming. 
there, camped there because God parked his glory there and didn't move it. So they didn't move it. And they're chilling. They're setting up the tents. They're camping. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of them. Maybe even two million of them. And they're there. But look at the verse, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people lift up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Oh my goodness. They had no idea. They thought they're going out boldly. They're going out defiantly. It's just depending on your translation, they're going out boldly, defiantly. They're basically going out knowing like we're free. We're we're gone. We're like we're not going back, you know. <laughs> and they're they're parked there. They're having s'mores. And unbeknownst to them, Pharaoh's been amassing his army the whole time. And finally, he gets close enough. And they see it. And they feared greatly. Was feared. They were thinking like. No! <laughs> They're supposed to be over there! Their worst fears are coming back to them. This is the least, this is the worst thing they could ever possibly see. And, they, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord uh, just by way of a note here. In verse 10, it says the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then in verse 11, it says they said to Moses. And then in verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? By crying out to Moses, they're crying out to Yahweh. They see Moses as the representative of Yahweh, the spokesperson, the mediator. And so at, by crying out to Moses is akin to crying out to Yahweh. And, and what do they say? Do they say, oh, Moses, our great and fearless leader. And no, they don't say anything like that. This will be the besetting sin of this group of Hebrews for the next 40 years. Obstacle comes and meltdown. Like, like a two-year-old, like, I think if I want, and I, it's the worst thing in the world, right? They say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? This is the very first question they ask Moses. I could think of a lot of other things to ask prior to this question, but this is the very first thing. They assume that Yahweh and Moses collaborated to rescue them, to kill them. God rescued us in order to kill us. It's like, how illogical is sin? No, there are plenty of reasons. And then they say, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Does this guy think, put yourself in Moses' sandals, are you thinking properly? 
Egypt, man. Um, dude, you gonna have a You act guy. like you had it good in Egypt. What do you mean this question have what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? That assumes they were just fine in Egypt. The only time someone says, what have you done in taking me away from this place means that place was good and ideal. Already. Already. They are willing to say, what would you rather go back? You'd rather... We'd rather pick straw stubble with our fingernails for the rest of our lives than be free and live by So they cried out in unbelief. They thought God wanted to kill them in the wilderness. And they fabricated something else. In verse 12, this is never stated. In, in the Exodus account, in the, in the Egypt account, this is never stated in verse 12, where they say, leave us alone that we may serve Egyptians. It says, is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve Egyptians? Or it would have better for us to serve Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They never even said that. The, the closest thing to that is when the taskmasters, who are Jewish um, slaves, put in positions of authority over other Jewish slaves. And the taskmasters actually complained. But they never at all said, we don't want you to deliver us. But, but now... Because they're in between a rock and a hard spot, they're fabricating lies. They're assuming God wants to kill them, and they're and they're making things up, saying we were we were just fine. You this is the language of fear. This is the language of fear. This is the language of fear. This could be a playoff team this season, Mika. Believing people, faithful people, fear sometimes. And when we do, we we express that we are at our wits end, and we incriminate the goodness of God. You think you you brought me here? Like, you delight in my suffering, Lord, or you brought me here just to kill me, or... And we make things up, you know, like Israel. And what does a good intercessor do? Good intercessor says in verse 13, Fear not. You're asking out of fear. Fear no. Stand firm and seek the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. A perfect answer. Moses is not just talking to Israel here. In all of these instances where Moses is talking to the people, they have such clear pictures of the great mediator, our mediator, the only one mediator for 
God and man, yeah. the man, Christ there he is. Nico Jesus. Collins got a chance to spend a few minutes with him earlier God. this week right here on CBS Sports Radio. His Texans and go the, right and now. And the Lord would say to us, to three. Desmond Ritter yeah, just had a rushing touchdown. The PAT yeah. by Youngway coup is good. So 7-3 for the Texans. The Lions are on the board. 7 nothing against the Carolina Panthers. That's a David Montgomery 42-yard Rushing just score to make it seven zip. Other scores. Jalen Waddle led the Penguins into the end zone to make it seven nothing. And that one that was an eight play, eighty nine yard drive in four minutes and eighteen seconds. A two yard receiving touchdown for Jalen Waddle. PAT is good. Over an impossible situation. So when Moses says, Yahweh will fight for you, you only have to be silent. Not only is it an implicit rebuke of be silent, but it also means like you don't have to do anything. The Lord will deliver. Salvation, Jonah 2 9, is of the Lord, not of man. Not of anyone, only of the Lord. America's military men and women went by. So they're and here, a fledgling flock. Yes, great in number, but the they stand no chance to a marauding army. And he says the Lord will He will do it all. Brothers and sisters, the hardest things you have to understand learn time and time again. warriorproject.org. People are delivering them. Step one. Not by them thinking you know you don't have what it takes to live right before the Lord, whether as a as a non-Christian and you're struggling in this way, or as a Christian. The answer is always, the Lord is in control. The Lord will do it. He doesn't need Pastors don't have a job because the Lord needs us. He just uses fallible men to make a point. Doesn't mean I know our outcome for you and our role, our responsibility would be not How's he going to do it? Is he aware of this situation over here? Is he aware of this situation over here? This weather report is being brought to you by Bighorn Basin Media, connecting our communities. So the enemy has pursued, God's people are fearing, and then God makes known his plan to conquer the raging sea. Then God makes known his plans to conquer the raging sea. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden 
the hearts of Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them, and I will give glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So, what's going on here? This... This is the Lord telling his people he's going to deliver them, but his salvation is like his creative activity. You've seen this before with the place. Judgment is the creation. Imagine being fired because of whom God brought judgment on Egypt, the locusts, the Nile, the blood, because of various things, the darkness in the middle of the day. It was the creation. It was showing that God's judgment was a unnatural order of things. Unnatural order of creation. On the other hand, salvation is akin to creation. In the later prophets, in the New Testament, we're told that, that salvation is a new creation. And so when he says, walk out that you may go through the sea on dry ground, the water to dry is this a continual motif of God delivers by his creative power. When he he births you anew in Christ, he doesn't just say, hey, Glenn, you know, just stop doing what you were doing and start the new heaven. No, he actually says, like, I'm going to take the, the wicked heart out of you and put in a new heart that actually delights in you. Okay? That's a, that's a new creation. That is a new creation. Anybody in Christ who believes in Jesus is a new creature. So when he tells them that this redemptive event is going to happen this way, he is saying, like, he's creating a new creation. That's one thing. Two, and this is the, this is the stumbling block for Israel. And, and most of everybody in the ancient Near East in this time. When he says, stretch your hand over the sea and go through the sea on dry ground and you get glory over Egypt and deliver you Israel, he's speaking of salvation in the language of the day. Okay, he's speaking of salvation in the language in which Israel and Pharaoh and the Egyptians would understand it. Jack, thank you so much. The uh, Jews let's go to Indianapolis for a second. I thought Derek Carr had another football. passing touchdown, but this one was a bit too high. Did not inherently believe in a literal twenty-four hours, six-four day creative event. Showdown. It is the Titans and the Colts. They had to be taught that. That's why I was written. They did not inherently believe that Yahweh 
this is the creator of perfect so far this year uh, 11 of 11 they live field goal, uh, abraham he's the father of israel yards out abraham and their time in egypt would have them inundated with pagan religions pagan ideas of how the world began and who's in charge of the world how did creation happen and who is the creative force that is keeping all things together the jews had to be taught that so when god is doing this for israel and bringing them out of egypt he's not only showing pharaoh who is the true god of all gods He's having to do that to a paganized people. The Jews lived in Egypt for over 400 years. And they adopted their practices then, just as they adopted the practices of the Philistines, the Baal worshippers, Molech, Asherim, Ashtaroth, all the false gods. Israel, like a sponge, just brought it in. And they were paganized by it. Score, this time say that so what's the significance of the significance of the the sea is the location of Yahweh's demonstration of his sovereign rule over every power real or imaginary it is the location of the demonstration of his sovereign rule over every force, over every created order, real enemies or imagined enemies. In the ancient Near East, the sea was always trying to escape its boundaries and flood the good earth. The sea has many aliases, the deep, the abyss, and it has many allies, sometimes even synonymous with itself, Storm, or Rahab, Dragon, Leviathan. These were real threats. Like, we think, like, oh, that's cute and weird. Why do they think those things existed? It was as real as the clouds above them. It was real. They, so when they see a, a sea before them, they don't think, oh, let's swim across. People can swim until 18 degrees. They thought, we're dead. There are mysterious forces in that chaotic water which will gobble us up. It's either them or Egypt. This is the this is how they thought. This is their paganized mind. So Yahweh's make when Yahweh makes his people, his weak people, cross through a sea as on dry ground, he's conquering these pagan notions of gods. All over the Old Testament, you have this sea cosmology. Who's in charge of the world, the created order? Psalm 89, you, O Yahweh, rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Isaiah, awake, awake. Put on strength, O arm of Yahweh. 
awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago? Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces and pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? Psalm 74, you divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. All over Psalms, Job, the prophets, the sea, the Leviathan, Rahab, the storm is chaotic, ungodly, don't mess with horses kind of theology. Those are imaginary. You fear for no reason. I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. I am the one who will still the sea. I am the one who tells the sea to stop and go no further. I am sovereign Yahweh over all people in imaginary So in delivering his people from the Red Sea, he says all other gods are false gods, and no one can oppose his sovereign power. Going on, we see the actual fulfillment of all this. God saves and he judges. In one event, he saves and he judges. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Yahweh drove the sea back by strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then morning watch, Yahweh, in the pillar of fire and the cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a pen, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavy. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that water may come back on the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it. Yahweh threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that have followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground. The waters being walled to them on their right and on their left. Tom, thanks so much. So here's where we're at right now in our 51 o'clock window game.
He just he picked the fight with which might have been months ago. And he God delivered his people through the same event. He judged others. See, there's a reason why the cross isn't a saint for those who are Patriots Those who believe the cross is marvelous, wonderful, hope-filled. It's a fountain open, cleansing me from all my sin. But to those who scorn it and reject it, the same symbol of salvation is a symbol of judgment. Because your sin will either fall on Christ, you will be judged in your place, and you loved by God on Christ's performance, you get credit for his performance, or you bear your own sin. That's the same thing with the Red Sea. The same event is both judgment and salvation. And he makes a very impossible and impassable way of escape. Summary of faith and fear, verse 30 31. Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians, so the people feared Yahweh. They believed in Yahweh. How fast do we change? Oh no! Your little one is back to school and caught a cough. Help them feel better fast. With hours ago, cold and cough, especially they were fearing the just for kids. It helps treat after the delivery cold symptoms. It's also available in two delicious flavors: honey and berry. 
Is it, is it odd that they both fear and believe in me? That's the proper response to God. Your dream is an amazing thing. And to believe it. But as you get older, it naturally begins to change. He is holy. He is savior. He is sovereign. And so we should fear and worship. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is savior. And so he is worthy of our secret. It's an ingredient originally discovered in jellyfish. Based on a clinical study of subgroups of individuals who are cognitively normal and impaired. Trevenson has been shown to improve memory. A this would be for Israel life altering moments. Rated Trevenson the number one pharmacist recommended memory support plan for the fifth year in a row. The cross of Christ. You can find it in the vitamin aisle and stores everywhere without a prescription. Just like Israel was weak and helpless, healthier brains, better life. We were weak and helpless. Not to treat or prevent any disease. Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. Then the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. The crazy thing is, this never ends. In the Red Sea, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Come on, create If we take your decline, I guarantee we'll pay for your timeshare or kind of title shift. Your free information kit. Is this happening? Eight hundred four six two thirty three thirty three. That's eight hundred four six two thirty three thirty three. Eight hundred four six two thirty three thirty three. Crossing with the Red Sea. The IRS, the world's most aggressive collection agency, can seize your property. What is done in in the Old Testament? Don't go sleepless nights for millions of Americans. The Red Sea event is incredibly powerful, but do not think right of what God has done for you in the gospel. The cosmic virgin, the bearish home, that doesn't happen naturally. It's an oxymoron. A virgin bears a child? Caused him to live a perfect life, to die for you, to rise for you, so that you would be eternally accepted, forgiven, and welcomed based on the performance of someone else who you needed in
Are you paying too much for term oh, life insurance? Good. There is a tremendous price war in the term yeah, life industry. Have, like, rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man aged 45 yeah, and can get $1 million. And you may not come to Christ when, when you're 20 or 30, like some of us here. Or a man aged 50 non-smoker can obtain $500,000 But it is a supernatural gift that you would understand that Jesus would be the one years. true Messiah. That's right. Guaranteed level rate for 20 and years. John if you're a smoker, we have great rates available for you as well. At Term Busters, we specialize in policies of $500,000. As a result of this great deliverance, just like we have the, the cross and they with the Red Sea, today for a quote, what is Israel's relationship with Pharaoh? 7636. You're probably paying more than there you should. Call 1 800 908 7636. Remember, 1 800 908 7636. Sample rate quotes based on preferred non smoker rate classes. Exam required to call it. Wake up and text. Text and eat. There's a very different relationship between <laughs> Israel and Pharaoh. One's living, one's dead. Your relationship with your former sin, your former enemy, sin to work, and the devil. They are dead to you. To walk in the newness of life. And then sing to them, as we'll learn next week. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. Gracious Father, you are past finding out. And your sovereignty over all things, our lives, the heart of the man, creation, the sea, the earth, stars, all things belong to you and serve your purposes. You did not have to redeem anyone after the fall into sin. You could have consigned us to judgment, but you delivered us. And you deliver us in spectacular ways where we for you, so to speak, even earn our trust. Because you are completely trustworthy. We should completely trust ourselves to you. But you convince us, Lord. I pray you convince us, Lord, that if we are thinking lightly of our salvation in Christ, we would go see the cross and see what you have done for us there. We always look back on that moment with great rejoicing, and that is where we pass through the watery judgment and came out on the other side to do shepherding us all the way there. Stand for it. Uh, um, injured here late in the first quarter, lifted onto a back.